Well, turn with me, please, to uh, Romans chapter 15, uh, verses, and we're going to look at verses 14 to 21. Romans 15, 14 to 21. And before we read, let's, let's bow our heads in prayer once more. Father, we thank you for the great privilege we have to, to sit under your word. And again, we pray that you would be amongst us and impress upon us uh, the message you would have us receive from your word and that we would be willing to respond to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul has uh, finished the previous section with a a wish prayer, if you like, uh, in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And it's a wonderful way to to round off an argument. But then he is, uh, and he's been talking about how the church uh, lives in harmony with one another, really, how the relationships work out within the church. But now he's going to move on to talk about his his own ministry and the priorities of apostolic ministry and so verse 14 says I myself am satisfied about you my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of, of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard uh, will understand. So that quotation there is from, a quotation from Isaiah 52. He's um, very much has Isaiah in his mind in this uh, passage, as, as we'll see. But one of the things we've got to remember about the book of Romans is that it's a letter, and it's a kind of missionary letter that uh, he's sending ahead of time uh, to the Roman church that he's planning to go there and to visit. And... Uh, but it's a letter that's, that's full of uh, wonderful depth of content of the gospel. He's laying out his stall, if you like. He's saying, this is, the, this is the message that I preach. And this is the message that you should have as well. And uh, he's spelling out that gospel, been spelling out that gospel, and he's been spelling out the implications of that gospel in the Christian life, uh, in the church's life. But it also contains, uh, you know, personal 
notes about the writer. He himself interjects personal notes and details. Where, and it's, it's quite, always quite interesting just to pick out those personal notes that Paul writes about himself, how he feels about things, how he thinks about things, what he plans to do, what his hopes are, all of these kinds of things. And this is what we're getting into here. And you may remember that back in chapter 1, Paul has already expressed his, his desires uh, for the gospel. In the beginning of this missionary letter, if you like, back in chapter 1, uh, in verse 11, you might like to look at it. Um, chapter 1, verse 11, uh, Paul is saying, For I long to see you. Isn't that so pastoral, so heartfelt? I long to see you. Um, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And then in verse 15 he says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Uh, He is so full of desire uh, for the the health and well-being of these Roman Christians that he wants to go and, and impart some spiritual gift. And I think he just means he wants to preach the gospel to them so that God by his spirit would come to the people of God in Rome. And bless them. And thereby they receive a a spiritual gift. And we saw uh, more of his his heart. You know when we got to chapter 9. You may remember in chapter 9. The beginning of chapter 9. He has this longing that his people. His kinsmen. His fellow Jews. uh, Might be turned to Christ. That they might come and know Jesus Christ. And be saved by this gospel. And that their failure to do so. In his own experience. On the whole. Some Jews have become Christians. But on the whole. The Jews have rejected his message. Um, but that failure. Uh, that he observes. Only serves to, to advance the gospel to the Gentiles. So he has a very. Although it's difficult for him. Seeing his kinsmen not receiving the gospel. He sees the benefits of it. As it works out in the gospel. Going to the Gentiles. The non-Jews. And, uh, and that's the main point of his own personal ministry as an apostle. That he is actually a, an apostle to the Gentiles. Yes, he begins his teaching ministry going to the synagogues, as if you read through the book of Acts. But actually the primary goal is to establish a, 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 a core of believers that can reach out to the Gentiles. To everybody, to the whole world, to the nations. This is a wonderful thing about the gospel and Paul is so full of that desire and ambition uh, for his ministry now Paul uh, returns now in this last section of the letter to the subject of his own ministry and he explains something of the the nature of that ministry in these uh, eight verses that we've looked at Um, And he explains the future plans for his ministry towards the end of the chapter. And we'll look at that next time. Uh, And then chapter 16 has a whole load of uh, personal greetings. And concludes with that final doxology in 16.25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. And the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery. That was kept secret for long ages. But now has been disclosed. uh, And... and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all, the na- all nations according to the command of the eternal God. To bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So this, pe- so this section, 15, 14 to 21. Uh, Paul is explaining something of the nature 
of his ministry. And there are three things we should take note of in this. First of all, Paul's ministry is a priestly service. And you see that in verse 16. Grace was given him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. And the fruits of that gospel are a holy offering to the Lord. So he's like a priest making an offering to the Lord. So that's the first thing. Second thing is that Christ is the one who accomplishes anything in the ministry. If anything at all is accomplished in the ministry of a local church, it is because Christ has come. And Christ is doing something in the midst of that church. So that's there in verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. And then thirdly, third aspect, just notice his apostolic mission. In verse 20. Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. He... He has this desire always to to preach the gospel somewhere else where it's never been before. To go to new fields, to preach the gospel, to have people come to faith in Christ from all kinds of backgrounds where they know nothing about Jesus Christ. Well, three things. His priestly service, Christ's accomplishment in that service, and then Paul's godly ambition. Let's work through those three things separately. So first of all, Paul's priestly service. Paul's priestly service. Now Paul has given in this letter a great deal of teaching. It's one of the, the longest letters in the New Testament. So it's, there's a lot of teaching in it. And one might be tempted to think that because of the length of the, the letter, that maybe Paul is dealing with a lot of problems. Uh, some Some churches are problematic churches. Like Corinth is a problematic church. It has many issues. Paul is answering many issues through his letter that maybe have been raised with Paul in in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. And it's the the original messy church, you know, uh, Corinth. So Corinth is full of problems. Uh, Galatia had its own problems, the churches of Galatia. Why? Because they were tempted to drift from the gospel. And Paul gives a very stern warning at the beginning of the book of Galatians. Not to drift from the gospel. But in Rome, there is much for Paul to be encouraged by. From what he's heard. He's never been, but he's heard about it. And he says in verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you. I'm satisfied. And there are two characteristics that make him satisfied with the progress of the Roman Christians. Firstly, they are full of goodness. In other words, there's a, there's a kindness and a warmth and a love in the congregation. Which is all the fruit of the gospel ministry that, that the apostles have established in the local churches. And Paul hears about that. He knows about it. 
And he commends them for it, their goodness. It's good to be in a good church, isn't it? Not just because, how do you define a good church? Is it defined by kindness and warmth and welcome and love? All of these things. These are all things that Paul has been talking about. And he is also commending them, secondly, for knowledge. They are filled with knowledge. This is still in verse 14. In other words, they have an understanding of the gospel. Of the doctrines of the faith. Of what it means to live the Christian life. Such that they are able to instruct one another. That's the wonderful thing about a genuine church of Jesus Christ. It's not just people like me that stand at the front and tell everybody what they should believe and what they should do. We actually are able to then talk to each other. And encourage each other and instruct each other. There's such wisdom in a congregation that can be tapped into. And we can encourage each other. Don't be afraid to do that. And it's interesting that this instruction includes admonishment. You know that word? Admonishment. Warning. You know, we, can, we can warn each other. You know, if something's going wrong in somebody's life and you, or you see something that's not right in somebody's life, it's, it's in order to, to go to that person and to, to give a little warning and say, you're not doing, right, doing the right thing here. And in that way, that's actually, you know, it's a sign of spiritual maturity that you can take that. You know, I don't think anybody likes to come and be rebuked about something and be warned or admonished about something. But actually it's a sign of maturity when you can receive it and think, yeah, I need to go and think and pray about this. And actually you may think, well, yeah, they've seen something that I've missed in my own life. And, uh, and so thank you, brother, sister, for coming to talk to me about this. And pray for me. And so we encourage each other as we instruct one another. See, spiritual maturity involves having those conversations without falling out, you know, in somebody, one party or another, or both, stomping off in the huff, you know, and being a bit grumpy with everybody. <laughs> So there's much to be thankful for in Paul here, Paul expresses, in that he's satisfied with them. He's satisfied with the progress that he's made. Nonetheless, he is saying that he's had to be bold and direct. He says that in verse 15. And what he's been doing is reminding them of the things that they already know. Um, And the reason that a church exists at all is because the gospel has been preached to them long before Paul was on the scene. Before, he get, he's, before he's going to get there. But Paul, through this letter, has, is exercising a ministry of reminding these Christians of all the things they already know. How much we need to be reminded constantly of the things, the great truths of the gospel. So this is the ministry of Paul, uh, a ministry of the apostles. He is preaching the gospel. He is repeating it in the gospel, uh, repeating the gospel in the letters that he writes And he's doing it with boldness, which simply means he has to step out, I think, of of people's comfort zones a little bit and say, you know, this is what you need to pay attention to. And it puts people out of their comfort zone perhaps a little bit, but they have to take it seriously. What What are we to believe? What are we to do as Christians? And this is part of the ministry 
of the Apostle. And it's this ministry of serving the church in this way that he describes as a priestly service. A priestly service. Now why does he do that? Why does he call it a priestly service? You see, priests in the Old Testament were, uh, they made sacrificial offerings to God on behalf of the people. So was Paul making this kind of offering? Well, read on into verse 16, and he says this, the grace given to me, to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, what is this offering of the Gentiles? What does he mean by that? Now, it's... There's two ways you can think about the offering of the Gentiles. It is not the offering that the Gentiles make to God. He is speaking here about the offering that's made up of, that he makes to God, that is made up of the Gentiles that become Christians. When you've got something off something else, you sometimes can interpret it both ways, but this is what he means. That he, as an apostle, is helping these people come to Christ. And as, as he does so, he is offering them to God as part of his priestly service. And so he, he sees his ministry as an apostle and as a preacher of the gospel as one of shaping and forming people under the word of God... So they are, they are called, they are justified, they are sanctified through the word that is preached. And that ministry is him offering those people up to God as a, an offering to the Lord. Now where does this idea come from? It's quite an unusual idea. I'm not sure um, it has a parallel anywhere else in the New Testament actually. But I think it may come from Isaiah. Isaiah 66. You may like to turn to Isaiah 66 if you can find it. Um, right at the end of Isaiah's prophecy. And in verse 18, so we're right at the end. He's about to speak, Isaiah is about to speak uh, or communicate the idea of the new heavens and the new earth. So he's thinking eschatologically. <laughs> he's thinking about the end and the future glory of God. And he says in verse 18, uh, God says, For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and they shall see my glory. So this is God speaking. They shall see my glory. And just jump ahead down to verse 20. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. On horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries. That's kind of camel. uh, To my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. 
And some of them will also take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth, uh, the new earth I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain, and so on. You see this glorious picture towards the end of God gathering a people to Zion. And Paul picks this up in the New Testament. These people are an offering to the Lord. The people are an offering to the Lord. And Paul picks this up and he sees this as part of his apostolic ministry. As people come to Jesus Christ, he is offering them up to the Lord. What a marvelous picture of ministry. What a privilege to be involved in such a ministry. To bring people to Jesus. This is the, and all of this is for God's glory. So this, this is Paul's holy act of worship. His, to carry out his ministry is a holy act of worship to God. And it's with great joy that he envisages as a servant of God presenting the fruits of his labors to the living God. And all to the glory of God. The thing that really drives Paul in his ministry is his love for God and his desire to please God and to do everything for his glory because he loves him and he wants him to get the glory. But at the same time, as he is seeking the glory of God, as he carries out his ministry, there is real joy and peace and hope for the churches to which he ministers the gospel. Men and women come and discover the joy and the hope and the uh, the, the peace that uh, the gospel brings. Do you think this is the kind of ministry we need today? The kind of ministry we need is uh, focused wholly on the glory of God, desiring to bring glory to Him, and yet it also seeks to have men and women come to faith in Jesus Christ uh, so that they can be offered up to God, that we all together become an offering up to God for His glory. And it's a marvelous picture of ministry. And that Christ-centered, gospel-focused ministry of the Word is is a kind of ministry that's willing to take flack, to take blows, not just from outside the church, but also from inside the church, to be faithful to the Word of God, to speak the truth and be bold. That's the kind of ministry we need. In order that we might become a people who are full of goodness and filled with knowledge, the knowledge of the gospel. And therefore, we become an acceptable offering to the Lord. What a wonderful picture, that priestly service of ministry. But secondly, let's move on and recognize that all of this is Christ's own accomplishment. For all that Paul does huge amounts of work, in the end, it's actually all about Christ and Christ's accomplishment. He's clear that whatever he is able to do, Christ is the one who does the the definitive work and so when we get to verse 17 he says something uh, quite strange Uh, you may have balked at this when you read it he says in verse 17 in Jesus Christ then I have reason to be proud of my work for God I have reason to be proud of my work for God (laughs) Christians are not allowed to say that are they? (laughs) I'm proud of my work for God why does he say it then?
Well, he would be proud and he would be wrong to do it if he felt that it was all his work. But actually he realizes that it's not any, none of it is actually his work. Verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So what he's clear about, what Paul is clear about, is that what he has done is actually not worth speaking about in itself. It's merely the vehicle through which Christ works. He does word and deed. He, he preaches the word and he explains it, doesn't he? Um, it's word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Uh, all of these things are connected. And it's, it's Christ who's done the work in him, through him. And that's a completely different perspective on what Paul has been doing all his apostolic ministry. I think Paul, you know, if, if they had Ikea in the first century, you know, Paul would see himself as the kind of Bendy Allen key in the flat pack. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if that's helpful. But, you know, um, you know, and, you know, imagine just building your bit of furniture out of Ikea and then the Allen key saying to you, I did a great job there. <laughs> that's kind of like that, isn't it? You know, the, the preacher saying, I've done a great job here. I've I built my church. That's got nothing to do with you, preacher. It's all about Christ. It's all about what Christ does. And that would be real arrogance to say that. Because the truth is that anybody who preaches or shares the gospel is simply a tool in God's hands. A means that God uses to proclaim the gospel. But it's in that gospel that the Spirit of God comes and does the great work. And that's the picture that Paul sees clearly. He is merely a tool in Jesus' hand to bring about the work that he desires. And therefore it's all about Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ has promised his disciples, hasn't he? That I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church. Not you, Peter, or all you other disciples. Jesus is not sending us out into the world to build the church. He is sending us out into the world so that through his church, he can build the church. And he does it. And he does it through means. That's the thing we've got to get into our heads. He he does do it through means. He uses methods. He uses the preaching of the gospel. He uses the house-to-house ministry. He uses all kinds of things. The ordinary means of grace. He even mentions signs and wonders. And I think he's talking there about the miracles. You can go through the book of Acts and you can see the, all the various miracles that Paul and the other apostles were able to, uh, to do. The, you think of the miraculous earthquake in Acts chapter 16 that freed Paul from the prison. Or in Acts chapter 19 in, in Ephesus, uh, Paul... Well, Luke tells us that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And of course, this was unique to the apostles. Uh, it's a sign of the apostles, uh, to be an apostle, that you did works of miracles. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. 
And Paul says, this is all, this all happens through the, the power of the Holy Spirit in verse 19. You see, the thing that's most necessary for fallen human beings begins with that radical work of regeneration. That you need something to happen to you within. And that is not something that any preacher can do. Only the Spirit of God can give newness of life. So only Jesus can do that. And therefore it is fundamentally all about Jesus Christ. It's Jesus' work. Sending his Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus Christ. Into the ministry of the word. And to bring about that that definitive break from the old life and puts you into the new life. See, the work of ministry is all Christ's work. It's not Paul's work. And that's true of any church today. Though not everyone sees it. One of the things I've noticed over the years at this church is that the work of church growth goes unpredictably. So many things happen that you don't expect. And what's interesting that whenever we've had these periods of growth, and um, I think over the last year we could probably say we've had a, a period of growth. But I've noticed that when we have done evangelism, it's almost the periods of growth have got nothing to do with the evangelistic effort. It's very strange. It's totally unpredictable from my perspective. But it's all of the Lord. Jesus Christ does it. I remember I was on the phone to somebody I know well. uh, Somebody who's not a Christian. Uh, This was a few years ago. And uh, that person was was interested in how the church, this church, was going. And I reported, I happened to be able to report at the time, that the church had grown quite a bit. I think in in one year it almost doubled in size. It was very early days. When things are small, they double quicker than when they're bigger. Um, it almost doubled in size. And, but my, you know, the person I was speaking to said to me over the phone, Oh, the, you must have done a really good job, Stephen. <laughs> and I said, Well, actually, you know, it isn't my work. It's, it's all of God. It's all of the Lord. And he's not a Christian. And he said to me, Oh, but you must have had something to do with it. And I said, no, it's not. It's nothing to do with me. It's totally unpredictable from my perspective. God brings the growth. God changes people's lives. And he started getting a little bit annoyed with me because he wouldn't accept my praise. I wouldn't accept his praise (laughs) because I was insistent that this is God's work. But it's easy, I think, if you're in the ministry and you're in a church that's growing to to begin to think if you're a preacher to think it's all about my preaching or if you're in the church and you're a member of the church and you think it's all about how nice we are or how spiritual we are or whatever it's all about us how acceptable we are it's actually got nothing to do with that it's all Jesus Christ it's all his work But it's this understanding of the ministry that Paul has that enables him to conclude that he is proud of of my work for God. Why? Not because he's the key thing in it, but because Jesus Christ is the key thing. He's proud of his Savior. Isn't that an amazing thing? 
He is proud of his saviour. And he wants everybody to know this is my saviour. It's all about him. What a glorious thing. Sure, we can be pleased that we have played our part well in the advancement of the kingdom in Solihull. But all the time, we must use what we see in the signs of advancement for the kingdom to fuel our glorying in Jesus Christ and say it's all of him and rejoice in his work of salvation. Well, let me finish off. Uh, notice, finally, his, Paul's apostolic ambition in verse 20. The very thing that motivates Paul to continue his ministry and, he's, and he, seems, he seamlessly moves into that in verses 19 through to 21, is that he's got this apostolic ambition. I, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul was clear what his mission was, to take the gospel to the Gentiles, wherever they may be. And he didn't want to go where other missionaries have been. Why would you want to go where someone else has been? Somebody else is already there. Why not go to the place where there's nobody and preach the gospel there? So he's always looking for new fields of mission. And he knows that this is the Lord's intention because he sees it clearly from the Old Testament scripture. Hence the the quotation from Isaiah 52 uh, in the very last verse. Those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. And Christ wants to be at work in those places, Paul understands. Christ wants to be at work in those places and Paul is being commissioned to it. And so he goes... What an amazing sense of mission that Paul has. And remember, it's not just because he wants success for himself or to to boost his own sense of self-worth in the ministry. He wants to do it because he wants to see Christ at work and to see him get the glory for the gospel, for the good that the gospel is doing in a needy world. That's very important for any Christian work. And you and I, we're not apostles. Apostles, the office of apostle disappeared with the apostles when they died. But we are part of the church of Jesus Christ who have been given a commission, a great commission, to make disciples of all nations. And this is what gives impetus to the great missionary movements of the church throughout history Jesus Christ wants to make disciples of all nations and therefore the need for Christians to go where the gospel has never been before according to one evangelical mission agency of the 11,000 plus people groups in the world about 3,000 are still without any active evangelism at all And increasingly in countries like our own in the West, which has a great heritage of gospel ministry, there are growing pockets of our society that have no access to gospel ministry nearby. And hence the need to plant churches in the United Kingdom. That's why 
As we think about our presbytery and some of the stresses and the strains that we are experiencing as a presbytery, it's the reason for that is because we have been uh, pretty aggressive at church planting with the resources that God has given us. And we are really stretched. But the motive behind that is to preach the gospel in places where there is no gospel. Increasingly, there are communities that here have no access to the gospel in the United Kingdom. Hence, the need to plant churches. Now, why is Paul writing about his ministry ambitions in this letter to a church that he's never visited before? I think because he wants them to share his concern. I said to you it's a missionary letter. He wants to convince them that they need to have this vision for gospel ministry across the world. And yes, to help him, but actually to have that bigger vision for sending people out into the world. That's, you can see that in verse 24, which we'll look at next time. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped in my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Paul wants to share with them, pass on that zeal and that godly ambition for the gospel. As we finish, do you share that gospel concern, that ongoing concern? for the speaking of the gospel into the world, a needy world? Do you want to see Christ at work in new areas where Christ is unknown? And I dare say you can go five minutes from here and you'll find plenty of places where Christ is not known. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, this wonderful passage this, which teaches us Paul's heart for the gospel and you have put it there as an example for us to teach us what it means to have a concern for the gospel in this world we pray that you would make us a people who have that desire to offer to God the fruits of our labors that we would give ourselves to those labors And all the time praying that Jesus Christ would be at work in our midst. And Lord, if it be the case that you are laying upon anyone's heart in this room to have a radical change of life, to go on the mission field, maybe locally or even abroad, Father, give them the courage to step forward. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.